Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer. Now, here are your hosts from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey everyone, welcome back to Content Pros. We are really excited to be joined today by Tommy Walker. Thanks so much, Chris. Tommy, it's great to have you on. Uh, for those who don't know Tommy, he writes content pretty much anywhere and everywhere that marketers look for advice. You know, he's been writing for Unbounce, for Marketing Profs, for HubSpot. Uh, but these days, he's leading you know a great Canadian success company called Shopify. And you know, Tommy, we learned earlier today that. Uh, you know, despite my my misbelief, you're not actually even based in Toronto. You're based, um, you know, in the U.S. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about where you're focusing at Shopify, and eventually, I'd love to to learn more even about remote teams today. Sure, absolutely. Um, and just for a correction, um, because my boss would kill me, I'm leading the Shopify Plus division of content. Um, there are we have two kind of separate teams over there, um, and the e-commerce blog is run by my boss Mark McDonald, who does a fantastic job with that. And uh, I am running the Shopify Plus blog, um, which we just launched a couple months ago. And uh, so far, so good. We've uh, we three x our traffic in. Uh, month over month from August to September, so I'm hoping to be able to do that again. Um, let's see, so I am based out of Dover, New Hampshire. Uh, I am a remote employee on the team, and I am the editor-in-chief for the Shopify Plus blog. Um, and we're focusing on dealing with uh, specifically high growth and uh, enterprise-level problems um, and, and trying to solve those marketing and growth issues uh, that that aren't necessarily applicable to the smaller guys of the startups, but, uh, you know, to people who are doing a lot more traffic um, and volume. Well, Tommy, I'm really curious. I think a lot of people have brought up the fact that they're marketing to multiple audiences, so they may have different personas. And with yep. Shopify and Shopify Plus, it sounds like that's exactly why that distinction was made. It's a different set of customers, different set of expectations. But could you talk a little bit to the differences in the strategy for content and maybe even why it's structured as two separate teams? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the major things that we found when we started uh, doing more research for Shopify Plus um, was that the people who are uh, within these higher growth organizations, um, it's not necessarily, now we do have customers that are in this category, but it's not necessarily um, one person trying to do everything. Right. In a lot of cases, it will be a, a director of e-commerce or somebody who manages a team of people. Um, and with that uh, comes very different concerns about, um, you know, how do you delegate tasks? Uh, how do you how do you look at strategies across multiple channels? And there's just a lot more resources involved as well. Um, so if if we're writing a piece on like, let's say Facebook advertising. Now we haven't written this piece yet, but if we were to say, uh, write a piece about Facebook advertising, we wouldn't have to do necessarily the thing about, you know, here's how you can make a whole bunch, you know, get a bunch of impressions or get a bunch of clicks for not a lot of money, right? Like that stuff exists, but in the enterprise space um, and with higher growth companies, budget's not usually as big of a concern that way, in, in that case, you, it kind of changes the entire mindset 
around how we think about money um, and, and budgets and those types of concerns and growth uh, as we create the content. Um, I, I think that answers the question, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, I can relate. Uh, you know, my company in Uberflip, we we had to kind of evolve. Um, you know, we at one point we were very SMB minded, and we ended up, you know, for the most part, moving to more of a mid market enterprise play. And and I remember yeah. having to really, yeah, you know, we we almost had to go back to the drawing board in many ways. Um, and it, it's interesting that you talk about. Now, the idea of CAC, and maybe you can explain that to people um, and how it differs. But you know, how does that differ also in, in the channels that you're willing to to entertain to interact with these people versus you know the cost to acquire perhaps a small business with with a much lower you know spend with you guys? I'll tell you, I'm spending a lot more time in LinkedIn than I ever did before, um, and and I'm trying to understand that part of the market uh, a lot a lot better as I go to distribute the content. Um, but it, it's, it, it's, it is, it's foundationally different, right? Like, um, and, and even in enterprise level companies, like somebody might've been hired into a director level position, um, and they've been out of college. They're not doing it because it's necessarily, uh, you know, like a matter of survival. It's a matter of like having the right connections to get the job in the first place. And they've had this like really nice and storied career. Um, and what I appreciate about that type of market is that and the the uh, the challenge of reaching them in, at the same time is that um they're not spending their time on fluff pieces right like it's it's a completely different mindset uh when it comes to how seriously we're going to take stuff and not everything has to be a matter of like here's how you do this and here's how you do that it's more of like why do things work in a certain sense um and what i appreciate about this market in particular is that when you are speaking to them, no matter what channel, right? And you might be looking at, uh, you know, Inc. and Forbes and like uh, HBR, right? Like these are, might be the places where, where we're going to be start looking for uh, speaking with this market. Um, when you are talking to them, you don't have to paint idyllic pictures, right? What I see in a lot of the SMB space is the the idea of like selling a tactic to somebody, right? Like you should do video because video can help improve conversions by 300%. And it's like, well, yeah, but how, like, why, why would that work? Um, and how much am I going to have to spend to work with an agency that can do it? And, and all of this other stuff that we're not in the business of selling tactics to the enterprise because we already have a good idea of what works. We're trying to understand why it works. And, and that makes a big, big difference in just the way we approach uh, the entire content production process, right? Um, I think that that answers that, yeah? Yeah, I'd say so. And the why, I mean, I'm curious how you go about discovering that. Because with a very distinct audience, you, you talked about some of the pain points and you knew that they don't want the idyllic situation. It's more addressing problems and how they can solve that. But how are you creating that feedback loop and plugging that into the content you guys create? Sure. So uh, initially, the, the first thing I started doing was interviews with our plus merchants. Um, very, very simple. Just, hey, what are, what are you looking for out of a blog? Why aren't you getting out of this space in general, right? Uh, you know. And, and I got a lot of really good feedback from that. And I have experience uh, when I was working as the editor of Conversion XL uh, before I came here, I was already kind of in this market uh, from an agency standpoint. Um, 
but to to keep answering that why and to keep figuring that out is is just this constant um i keep this this sort of dashboard that i and really it's more of just a spreadsheet of the different groups and the different social media groups that have people within this particular space um interacting with on a regular basis and and i watch that on a pretty regular basis um just to get a sense of like what people are saying when i'm not prompting them right like it's really easy for a content marketer to go like, well, let's let's email people a survey within our market and then you know see what they say, but that's not always the full conversation, and uh, and you're only going to get as good of answers as the questions you put out there. Um, and now we definitely keep a feedback loop with our email list, and all of my all of the content that we send out is also like written in a letters to the or letters from the editor style. Um, so I try to keep that as personal as possible, um, but watching what's going on in real space, right? Like just in the wild, if I put that in air quotes, um, and, and seeing what that feedback is like on a, on a regular basis without any sort of prompting, um, that gives me a, a much better idea of what people are looking for and the challenges that they're having. Um, and, and we're able to, to develop content that's, that's based on that, right? Like the way I look at social media marketing as a whole, right, is that, we're creating media or we're, we're being social first, creating media second that just happens to be marketing. Um, and, and to me, that's like the biggest, the biggest thing, because if I create a piece that's based on a conversation that one particular group has been having, I know that it's probably going to do pretty well within that group and might be the seed for a much bigger conversation and much bigger sharing that happens um, outside of that. I'm not focused on going like, you know, hey, what's what's going on in all of my Twitter channels? Like, as a big broad fire hose, I'm like, let's let's focus on what's going on in this like one LinkedIn group or on this one hashtag chat that happens every Thursday on on Twitter. The whole conversation we're talking also reminds me a lot about uh, one of the the sponsors of Content Pros here, and that's Inbound Writer. We're talking a lot about figuring out what content's going to work, and I, I urge people to take a look at Inbound Writer. It's it's a great platform to really help you understand what content to write before you you spend all the time doing so. Um, you know, sometimes Tommy, you can you could talk to your customers, but sometimes you got to get stuff out on the fly, and you got to know what's going to work. You got to understand what your competition's doing, what search engines are are doing. And that's where Inbound Writer comes in. Uh, they're offering a free month trial of their tool if you go to inboundwriter.com slash content pros offer. So I, I want to I shift uh, to, to something we touched on lightly at the beginning of the call. And, uh, you know, that was just this this whole idea of, you know, I thought you were based in Toronto. I thought, you know, the, the Shopify main office is, is here that, you know, logically you'd be here, you know, but lo and behold, uh, you know, there you are off in, off in the Boston area. So, and other people have also questioned, you know, me and Chris before being shocked that, you know, we do this podcast remotely. You know, there, there's definitely a rise, you know, amongst marketing teams especially in the content team, I think, in terms of finding the best content talent to work remotely. So maybe you can just talk to us a little bit about team dynamic, and then eventually I'd love to get into some of the tools you're even using to make that work. Sure. So um, with my team, it's it's actually kind of interesting. Uh, at first, when I was put on for this position, I thought I was going to have to do everything on my own, and I panicked a little bit. And then um, 
Marquez, my director of communications, said, you know, we're not giving you any restrictions for who you can hire or how many people you can hire. And I said, I took that very literally um, and put out an ad on ProBlogger the next day and uh, ended up finding, uh, like, out of 50 submissions, I narrowed it down to 16 people. I was like, yes, I'm going to do all of this. And I'm going to hire all these 16 people. And then, you know, they were like, ah, you might want to dial that back a little bit. I'm like, okay, all right. Let's get a little bit more serious about this. Um, but what I did when it was initially in the hiring process that um, that that makes all the difference with this. Now, before I even started hiring anybody, before I even wrote an ad, I wrote something called the code. And uh, for me, this is a publishing code that doesn't say you know um, all articles have to be 1,850 words minimum, and you know use images every couple of or every couple of uh, you know paragraphs. It was my publishing code is more about the soul of the, the, the blog itself. And I think that this was very important to um, who I was attracting and who I was, I, I was looking for. Uh, and it, it has certain rules, like uh, rule number two is don't paint idyllic pictures. Um, rule number four is uh, we're, we're not in the business of making blog posts, we're creating experiences. Um, and it's, it's things like that, don't talk down to the reader, right? Um, these are different. This I use this as a hiring tool because once I saw what people were submitting for their um, their drafts, I had an idea already based on just what they've already produced, what kind of work they were capable of. But I should take a look at the code and know that I'm a demanding editor. Um, and if you're if you're on board, I'd love to have you on my team. And um, what ended up happening was some people said uh, a lot of the people who are on my team now currently were like, this is absolutely amazing. I love this code. Like, I'm really like, I see what your vision is and I'm totally on board with where you are. Let's do this. And um, and that was like really important uh, in the very beginning part of the process because it eliminated a lot of this like back and forth that happens between editors and writers where it's like, well, no, I don't like this paragraph over here and this paragraph over here is great, but you're kind of missing the mark. Um, and to me, that's always been just a challenge of being able to communicate vision. So I wanted to make sure early on that that vision was communicated um, and then start finding people that could help uh, help me execute that on a, on a grander scale than I could do on my own. Um, and then you know, once we started getting on board, there are three major tools that we use on a regular basis uh, just to keep in touch. Um, one of them is Trello, which I use to ha I have what I call the, the production hub, which we have, uh, you know, different lists basically that go from article ideas to done, right, and scheduled and ready to go. Um, and we basically just try to get things to move from article ideas to in production to draft two and, you know, for review. So that makes it much easier for me. Uh, we give all of our high-level commentary, or I give all the high-level commentary on each piece within the Trello cards, so it makes it so I have a running documentation of, you know, all of my feedback, plus we have the granular edits that happen within Google Drive, which is the second tool that we use. Um, I have a very systemized uh, structure that I use um, for organizing all of my docs to make sure that, you know, I don't get lost and things don't get lost in email. Um, and then the third tool that we use is uh, Slack. Right, like Slack has been incredibly valuable, um, just for us to have, uh, you know, ongoing conversation. I guess we use a fourth tool. We just introduced this more recently, which is um, Google Groups, which allows us to have an archive of all of our, uh, you know, mass email blasts that I send out to everyone. Hey, here's our meeting notes um, from Tuesday. 
uh, here's you know things that you need to know about upcoming product uh, releases and and all of that type of stuff. So um, and that's that's pretty much it, right? Like we've created kind of our own little culture uh, based off of the code. And then we use these tools to just keep in touch, um, and we have weekly meetings in order to make sure we're not just losing losing touch with each other. I think that's awesome, Tommy. And I wanted to dive in a little more on the code. I, I'm remote sure. as well. I have been over two years. So when I was at Compendium, everyone else was in Indianapolis except for me, which <laughs> is a different challenge. So you know, you have 99% of the folks in one location, and then there's me. So that was lots of travel, and you know we had tools to try to overcome that. And now at Oracle Marketing Cloud, we're all over the place. I mean, there are folks from various acquisitions and then new hires. We really don't care. We want best talent available. So that's how my team is structured as well. But mm -hmm. with the code, we put together something. We call it a manifesto, which sounds extremely similar. And then it became our first documented content strategy. So we have a mission statement. We have you know the main goals, supporting goals, and how we're going to accomplish that. And I promise you that I use that every single time I present internally because that's the way to set the table stakes and say, look, this is what we're tasked with as a content team. Like you have to have a mission and ours is to you know, improve the education level of marketers, help them get promotions and grow in their career. So can you talk to how important the code is for what you guys do? Because we just saw a content marketing world not too long ago that the new research is roughly one in three corporate marketing teams have a documented content strategy, which I still think mm -hmm. is high. And then we know that those who document the content strategy have four times more success. So that's all in the CMI marketing profs research. So how important is that code for you and what made you put that together? Sure. So uh, the code is, I can't even put, um, I can't even emphasize enough how important the code is to me. Like it was it was the first thing that I produced when they said, "Hey, we're gonna you're gonna start um, doing content for the Plus uh, team," um, and it's it's the thing like not just from a strategic level, like it's not our content strategy, right? That's that's something I need to kind of distinguish right now is it's not our content strategy, it's not our mission statement, it's nothing more than uh, basically externalized expectations that I have of myself and the content that I create. Um, and I have very, very high expectations of myself uh, to, to make it so, you know, to put it out there, um, it was, was very important. Um, but what it's done is not only uh, communicated that expectation um, from the pieces and just the soul of the blog itself, um, but it's also, it, it significantly reduced the onboarding time that we had when it came to... Um, producing content, right? Like m most of my writers, the feed or the, the editorial feedback that I gave on their first articles, right? The very first things they ever submitted to me, they had a very clear expectation of what it was that we were looking to get out of the pieces. Um, and that made it so we weren't just kind of spending a month going back and forth, uh, trying to figure each other out. They knew where I stood. Um, and that's, I think that's super important. And because that code is sort of, it's not it's not strategic right it's it's soul right that's really the way i look at it is it's the soul of what we're trying to do all strategy that comes as a result of that on the outside of that it all makes sense and it's not um it's not challenged in a way where it's like well you know does that whatever like no it, it is in line with what we're talking about in the code um and it it's it's one where you know 
we all have a very clear idea of why we're doing the things what we're doing. So, so, so picking up on that, that idea of, of doing doing these for an outcome or doing these for for a purpose, um, how do you how do you build the goals? Into you know the the content creation and the code. I I, I know you know I'm I'm somewhat lining up something you had told me before the show, which was that you know not all contents can have the same outcome. So right. how do you kind of play with that? And maybe you can explain you know your rationale around different outcomes and different goals. Sure. So uh, these are kind of two separate things actually. Um, I believe that content, when we create content, it should have one and only one of four specific goals. And those four goals are to be shared, to drive discussion, to generate leads, or to make sales. And I think one of the, the biggest challenges that, and even I have this sometimes, um, but we have as content marketers in general, is creating a piece and going, I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to get a lot of comments and I wanted to get a lot of shares and I wanted to generate leads and I wanted to do it all. Um, and I think that when you're able to focus specifically on something where, you know, okay, we're going to, we're going to get this shared throughout a community, right? That's going to influence the creation, uh, of the post itself. You might use a different word choice, right? You might, you might phrase something, you might turn a phrase just ever so slightly. Um, that's, that's what the, the four content goals are. Um, and then, what the code is really doing, I guess, it, on, on a deeper level than that, is going, how do we do this without pandering to our audience, right? How do we do this without speaking down to them? How do we do this while still informing them um, and, and making this something that's genuinely interesting versus something that's very clearly a piece that's so, just supposed to be shared? Um, you know, and I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot more lately because um, you hear in this space so much, like, provide value, be engaging, provide value. Um, and, and to me, it's kind of, I've kind of come full circle on this whole idea. Like we hate on, everybody hates on Buzzfeed a lot. Um, but sometimes value is a list post of dogs, right? Making funny faces because that's exactly what you need in that part of that part of your day, right? Sometimes value is, is, is a silly joke to help break up the monotony of your day. It doesn't have to all be heady. Um, so, so there's there's kind of like this bigger sort sort of scope that I'm thinking about um, about how you can create stuff that gets shared but is also of value to your readers. Um, something I'd like to experiment in the near future is uh, producing some office humor type content, right? Some original office humor content, just because I think it'd be relevant. I think it would be relevant to somebody who works in an office. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think so. I, I was going to ask, you know, where, how do you strike the balance? But I think you're talking to it right now because it's different and everyone has different phases of the buying cycle and they may just want to build a relationship with you and then eventually they'll come around and maybe they'll never come around at all, but they trust you and they trust your opinion. And those are all valuable things. And I think you hit on that too. And I mean, we run into that. Our, our main goal is marketing qualified leads, right? If someone asks me what goal do you have as a content social team, it's MQLs. But that doesn't mean that every piece is a mercenary, hey, click here to convert. Here's a call to action because there are other things you have to accomplish too. So, right. yeah, I'd love to see office humor. I think Yeah. Could, well, I mean, and it, when, you, when you keep – like, here's the thing. And, and here's the thing that a lot of people misunderstand about BuzzFeed too, like specifically BuzzFeed, is that – BuzzFeed is not all listicles, right? BuzzFeed does this excellent job of creating um, 
like I don't know if you've seen their like you know relation like things people say to each other in relationship videos, but those are hilarious, right? And those are very true, and they speak on a much deeper level than like you know dogs making funny faces or you know sixteen things that are from your childhood. Um, but they also produce really really in depth um, editorial pieces that are like you know like three to four thousand words that are extremely insightful. Now. From BuzzFeed's perspective, now here's the other thing that people get wrong about BuzzFeed is that they're producing 864-something pieces of content a day, so they've kind of got numbers in their favor there. But those smaller, you know, those those easier-to-digest pieces that get shared a lot, they are the beginning of a relationship that you can build with this media brand that... Um, that becomes a lot deeper and becomes a lot more insightful if you're taking if you're interested in taking the time to explore what they're doing a little bit more. They have an investigative journalism team that's led by um, somebody I think who was he I think he used to work for Politico. I'm not sure, but I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But like really really smart people um, are running that, and it's not just all fluff content like like people in the content marketing space like to kind of hate on for. Um, and I think that there's something to that. Do we have to emulate BuzzFeed? No. But can you tap into your audience and find out what kind of other things that they might be interested in versus, um, you know, how to get more people to buy more things and layer a content strategy that way? I think so. I think that there's, I think there's a lot more to it. And uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm challenging myself to do right now is sort of look outside of that how to get more people to buy more things or how to get more people to come to your website and do the thing you want them to do type content. Because I think it's important to have a more layered strategy uh, just to just to be more human, I guess. You know, we're not all work all the time, even when we're at work. So, so before I go to one of our fun wrap-up questions, I want to make sure everyone knows where to find your content because everything you're saying, I think, you know, is where content should be. So, so where do we find the Shopify uh, Plus content specifically? You can go to shopify.com forward slash enterprise. Beauty. Okay, great. We're, we're definitely all going to do that. You know, as, as I said, we always like to finish with a fun question that's going to take you way back to childhood and, and let us know what you wanted to be. And it may have had nothing to do with content, but you know, we always like to see where, where, the, where our content pros started, started off their dreams. It's funny. When I was a little kid, I wanted to be an animator for Disney. It was, uh, it was always a really interesting thing to me to, to create moving pictures and entertain people with images and uh, fun stories that way. And that was, that was the first thing I ever wanted to do. And then I transitioned into acting and then from acting to marketing. So it was kind of, it's kind of been a pretty, pretty linear, I suppose. Well, as, as they say, it's all about visual content today, so you may get your wish at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's all storytelling, too. I mean, every element of that is telling a story, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, when I first got into marketing, it was actually um, after I had, I had graduated from a film acting conservatory. And I have this view that, like, the way we view our computer screen is not different from the way we used to view TV screens in the past. We just have the ability to interact with it and become a part of that story. Um, so a lot of a lot of my whole philosophy behind content in general and, and marketing in general is just making an interactive story uh, that that makes your customer or your reader part of it. They're the hero. 
Well, awesome stuff today, Tommy. Thank you so much for joining us. And thanks to everyone that listens to Content Pros. You can find more episodes at contentprospodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher. Please do not be afraid to leave an iTunes review if you love or hate the show. Either one is appreciated, especially the lovers. But we'll talk to you guys next week. So thanks for joining. On behalf of Randy Frisch, I am Chris Moody, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Uberflip, and Inbound Rider, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by audio